you're listening to a Mash Those Buttons limited series. Visit us at mashthosebuttons.com. Welcome to Squad Goals, a Mass Effect Legendary Edition podcast, where we're discussing our experiences playing through the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. My name is Nick Zelenkevich, and I'm joined by Chip Locke. Howdy, Space Cowboys. And Corey Kurabara Treadway. Hello from a very snowy space. And this is episode number 35. And I know we've been going through the loyalty missions lately, and technically we still have two to do. One for Tally, and one for a character we haven't met yet. Uh, but because we haven't met that character yet, we're going to hold off a little bit and come back to those um, for some various timing-based reasons. Uh, so right now we're going to take some time and we're going to clear out some of the DLC and we're going to clear out some of the side quests. And once that's all done, we should be in a good position to go get that character and then go do Tally's loyalty mission and then see what's going on in the universe. And maybe it'll be time to go through the Omega-4 relay. Nah. It's time to go suntanning. <laughs> Take a break. I, I, I didn't get the suntan DLC. <laughs> it's on Nexus mods, probably. There's yeah, there's probably lots of mods. I saw. You know, I didn't want to talk about it. There, there was a, I guess a mod for I guess a, uh, uh, I, I guess for Mass Effect Three, you could get a a, a better ending. Let's say. Oh and, boy. But the, the the name of the ending, of course, led people to think it was something completely different. So, oh wow! Okay, you did. You <laughs> know, I know what you're talking about, and I was not considering that from the title. I'm like, oh yeah, the happy. Okay, all right, but it's not. It's not really what I was going for. But you know, thanks, Nick. <laughs> well, in a game, in a game with romance options, you you can't. You don't know what you're getting there. See, I would have gone there immediately too. So, I no shade, no shade to you, Nick, because. No, and I was not the only one that did. I was not the only one that did. Mm-hmm. I, I was just surprised I'm usually the one goes there, and I did not. I was like, oh, yeah, it's just a title. You're, you're slipping, Kura. I'm very slipping. Oh. But, but let's go ahead and I guess we'll start with the Firewalker DLC. Uh, because I did, I did the Overlord DLC first, and there's a part of the Overlord DLC that we'll get to, which it doesn't... It, you don't have to do, you can do the Overlord DLC first, as I said, I did mm-hmm. that, but there's a part where it's like, basically like it expects you've already done the Firewalker DLC and it just like throws you. Oh yeah. It's like here, oh, yeah, I, do this thing that you've done. You should know exactly what you're supposed to do. And I'm like, uh, yes, no. But and then, yeah, I find it funny doing it. Cause I also did the same thing where I did Overlord before Firewalker just cause you know, I didn't care because Firewalker for the most part, kind of a boring DLC packet. But when you come to I it, mean, it's like, wait yeah. a minute, like, like there's this, there's this vehicle. It's a hammerhead. It, we've never seen it before. Even though I'm like, no, no, just about a uh, twenty, thirty minutes ago, I was flying this over on another planet. So, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It has this like nice reveal to it. Like, look at this very cool vehicle. That's definitely not the Mako. We promise. Um, 
No, and no, it's a different. It's a different shark. It's a hammerhead, it's, not a mega. Yeah, I did. I did actually enjoy that. Like wow. the naming. Oh, did you? Kura, I never put together <laughs> that they were names of sharks. For once, for once, I I actually got there at the same time. I was like, Mako hammerhead. Oh, I see what you did there. It's cute. Oh yeah! Man. Wow! Yeah! I'm wow! Yeah! I'm, I'm glad we do this podcast <laughs> because I've learned a lot just in the recording of it, not even the the, the playing of and the studying of. But there's a dang, lot of that, there's a yeah. lot of cleverness in in the writing in this game. I, I don't even know how clever you want to call this, but it's clever enough. I, I guess my only question is why sharks? <laughs> like what? Like, why would, I, I mean, I guess they needed a theme, and I guess they called the other one the Mako, but, see, my problem is, I was thinking of Mako, like Final Fantasy VII Mako Energy. Mm-hmm. It never occurred to me that Mako is also a shark. Mm-hmm. Are you sure it wasn't mm-hmm. the uh, Yu-Gi-Oh's Mako Tsunami with his fish deck? I, I'm not, <laughs> I mean, I'm familiar with Yu-Gi-Oh, but I'm not that familiar with Yu-Gi-Oh. I'm very familiar with everything. So, um, so I was looking, because I couldn't remember, this DLC was free. With activation of Cerberus network, whatever that means, which that might. Okay, yes. I, I don't know if that was like a, I don't think EA was doing this by then. Like, I think it was literally just like log in to their page so they could track you and that was all free. I don't think it was like the code in the box thing because I know they it, did that it was. in three. It, it, it was. was the code the box. Yep, it was. A oh, code it was. The box okay. To, to get the Cerberus network, if you bought it pre-owned, you had to pay extra uh-huh. money to get access to it. Wow. Oh, is that no, that okay. DLC? Okay. Okay. Uh huh. Download and or purchase of Cerberus Network. Okay, weird. I mean I bought the game new, so yeah. it didn't I, matter to me. I th- I think we talked I talked about this before because like I originally tried to buy a pre owned copy of it and then found out I was missing that. So I turned it back in and went and bought me a new copy because it was cheaper. <laughs> well it worked I guess that worked from their perspective. Yeah, it worked. Then. Yeah, I guess I'm so. Surpri- I'm surprised that I'm assuming GameStop or or, or your local Solarian salesman, but I, I'm surprised they didn't know to budget accordingly and be like, okay, like if you're going to have to go and pay for this DLC that you're going to want, then we have to make sure the price doesn't go above like $5 or whatever the price was under retail. Cause otherwise like, yeah, you, what you did Kuro was exactly right. I think from the GameStop point of view, that's you, that's your problem, not theirs. Yeah, pretty much. Also true. Because they make they make nobody off the noob games. They only make it off the pre-owned. Right. And they're going to take what they can get. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's... That makes sense, though. Because it's... Yeah, it, like... Again, like, the, the hammerhead... Intri- like, being integrated into the... Into the missions, as it were. I mean, it's only in... Firewalker and and Overlord, so it's not like it is something that you're you're using all the time. Like the make, I mean, the Mako was integral to Mass Effect One. Um, For you better can't or play worse, Mass yeah. Effect One without the the Mako. Yeah, right. And so I guess here they were like, okay, you know, well, I I I think scaling back the Mako served two purposes because one, it meant that gameplay wasn't as reliant on how the vehicle felt. That by scaling back the the hammerhead so that you're only using it in these very specific situations it kind of becomes optional. You can skip Firewalker. It's not going to hurt anything. You can skip Overlord. It's not going to hurt anything. Um, But also it allowed them to improve sort of the narrative telling of their missions. I mean, cause you know, on, Mm -hmm. on Mass Effect one, you drop the Mako, you're on a planet and you have to drive the Mako to your objective. Right. And that's part of the gameplay. Whereas, you know, I think we've talked about this before on Mass Mass Effect two, you, 
every mission starts with the shuttle landing and you don't get that. Okay. You get to explore the planet and find where you need to go. You have a very specific objective, whether it is a, a, a mission that you're doing or a side quest. You, there's no free exploration like there was in the first game, with the exception of the, these few missions for the, the Hammerhead. And even then, I wouldn't say it's free exploration. It's just it's a larger map, but you're not wandering around really looking for like unknown objectives. You, you have a very clear. You're, I mean, I guess you know we'll, we'll talk about the one mission. I mean, you're looking for for data packets, but. Um, it's all very refined. It's all very, uh, it, you know, a very well-designed level. It's not an open sandbox like the other one felt like. More of a, I guess it's more of a theme park than a sandbox. Yeah, I think I think they learned this lesson kind of somewhat simultaneously with Mass Effect Two and Dragon Age Two, where they both like both Dragon Age Origins and Mass Effect One had these big open worlds that, or big open areas in the case of Dragon Age that you mm-hmm. didn't do much with like they would have like a handful of objectives. You'd be just trying to, and they, they weren't like, and they're, they're expensive to make. And if and it's much easier to make like narrative content in a tight focused area. And they, they, the problem is I feel like in dragon H2, they said, well, we reused assets like hell in mass effect one and it worked great. So we'll reuse the same few zones. Um, but in two, they built everything from scratch and they just didn't bother with the open world stuff. And it works out incredibly well. Right. I mean, yeah, you pointed out when we were playing Mass Effect 1 how like all like there were like two different stages, basically. And it was all just boxes rearranged to really give you a different feel for the layout. Yeah. Whereas and, and they do the same thing in Dragon Age Origins where there's like two maps and it's like trees that are down or whatever obstacles on the maps or you come in from a different angle to make it feel like it's different but you realize like no this is the same layout that i fought on like 80 million other times right it's not and and, i mean that gets you a certain amount of replayability but also at some point you recognize like okay yeah like i've seen this like i need something new and you know you look at mass effect 2 like yeah like every place feels different there is no like the only time you get a sense like this place seems familiar, I think, is when it's intentional. Mm-hmm. It's intentionally calling back yeah. to something else. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of asset reuse. I mean, there's many factory-esque levels with the same boxes and, you know, a lot of the same mobs and all that stuff. So it's not like the game doesn't reuse assets. It's just way smarter about how it does it. It's not as obvious about the reuse, I guess, how it feels sometimes. Right. Besides, well, like, it makes effects. sense because how many different, like, factory cartons are there going to be sure yeah <laughs> like, it's, it's, exactly. i mean you know you, you've seen one like shipping container you've seen pretty much all of them so yeah so this one's red this one's blue they you know i mean so so you know it makes sense you would reuse that asset because you'd expect to see the same thing there precisely I mean, you know, you're gonna see the same mobs i mean you have the blue suns the eclipse and the blood pack the blood pack they're re, you know reused we'll talk about that each of them extensively here mm-hmm. uh, in a little bit but I mean, so I think, yeah, you're you're right. It's it's smart. It's smarter, but they do it in a way that it, it's completely logical. That yes, right. like I recognize this is a reused asset, but because I would expect to see the exact same thing again. I mean, they they acknowledge it in fiction. They talk about you know the monopolies that certain corporations hold and in industries, blah blah blah. So it's like, yeah, of course you expect to see this, but it doesn't. Like, I think it's more boring and frustrating as a player when all the layouts are the same, right? Like all that was what really got to me about Mass Effect 1 is it's like, oh, this exact layout, it's, they couldn't do enough to differentiate levels because of that. Or here it's like, you right. at least make a floor map that's different. I really appreciate well, that. 
and, and I think we said too, I think with Mass Effect 1, they were, I mean, it's it's the first game in a franchise. So when you don't know if you're oh, going to yeah. get the chance to make a second game, but also you, I think you're trying to get the most out of the resources that you have. Whereas in Mass Effect 2, now, you know, you've got a proven IP, you've got the budget to justify that you've got a better feel for how you, what you can and can't reuse well, and, and yeah it makes sense there's also the fact think, that mass effect one was released when the hardware for their probably raised on consoles were newer whereas in at least two they're more familiar with the hardware with the technology mm-hmm. it's a little easier to figure out how to make it work yeah yes yeah welcome to game design exactly exactly yeah and, i mean if you think about it, there's a big jump from 2007 to 2010 or even you know, 2012. Uh, Cause again, this was, that's around the time of like the PS2 to the PS3 when, I mean, HD graphics started becoming more commonplace, mm-hmm. um, you know, especially from the console side of things. I know on PC, you're, you're you know, there's always people pushing the edge of things. Um, but I mean, go back now and look at like the PS3 feels closer to say the PS4, or the PS5, than the PS2 feels to the PS3 that there's, I think that's right. Yeah. Like there's a big, the big jump, and just go back and try. The problem is go back and try to play anything on the PS2 right now, and unless you have a CRT TV, um, actually, uh, I actually found a bunch of games on the PS2 age better than some of the ones on the PS3, especially the earlier. Especially a lot of the earlier PS3 games don't age very well or look kind of terrible the way they were doing the graphics. It's, Hmm. I don't know. It might might depend on the game. I don't know. I I've. Uh, one of the things I've been glad for, like, is uh, is the remakes, like the Mass Effect remake, or uh, but especially on the consoles, uh, like the Final Fantasy twelve, I believe it was remake that I was yeah. playing because I tried to play. I busted out my PS two and I tried to hook that up and play Final Fantasy twelve off that, and the graphics just did not hold up at all. And I like, oh, you know, and then you, I'm playing. You're playing it again on the PS four now, and like with the remake, and I'm like, oh, this is this is, you know, infinitely much you know more enjoyable so i was enjoying that yeah yeah the problem is you had people going for like somewhat photorealism but in sd and that Mm. looks so bad in hd i mean when you more than double or you know more than quadruple the resolution or whatever it is going all the way up to 1080 it's brutal yeah and i remember at the time you know like playing in front of some people who weren't gamers and they're like, you know, it's one of those things like, especially, you know, like even PS one graphics, like out of the corner of your eye, you'd be like, Hey, that almost looks real. And then it's like, and now it's, we've come so far. Oh, PS one. I mean, you want to talk about a generation that aged horribly. Those. Yeah. But there's a lot, but there's a lot in that generation that was about learning. I mean, that was like the, we're learning 3d implementation i mean we're just figuring out how oh, to actually sure. navigate a three-day space mm-hmm. so i mean that was important in that regard but yeah it's i just mean, I mean visually you know, i mean you look at oh yes look at yes. final fantasy 7 that game looks like ass i mean it looks awful yes. or even final fantasy 9 that game which was like right at the end of the that that's an ugly game i'm I, sorry it looked I, I, it looked like much better ass but it was yeah it was still ass. i hate to cut us all off for a bit though but um I thought we were talking about Firewalker and the new Hammerhead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, we were, but diverged. This isn't a, a general gaming podcast? What? No. All right. Well, let's get back to it then. I just thought it was kind of funny, um, though. Like, it was just like, we just started talking about that all of a sudden. It's like, and graphics. Yeah, and, yeah. and graphics. Graphics. They're very important. Yeah, so Firewalker, well, though. 
Firewalker. Let's just go through here because I don't think like this is divided up into small chunks. And so rather than just give like one big over review, uh, we'll just go through the chunks here real quickly. Um, So Firewalker part one is on the planet of Ziona in the uh, Alista system on the Ismar frontier. Uh, A probe detects uh, the hammerhead and it also shows clues as to the locations of Dr. Casey and Dr. O'Loy, who are the two doctors that you're trying to track. so you land the sh- shuttle. It's a rocky lava planet. Uh, the ship's not safe. You run into Geth. Uh, Dr. Aloy and uh, the speaker went to the next site. You open the crate to find the hammerhead. And so that's the reveal that we were talking about earlier where it's like, oh, this you, you find this amazing device. Amazing. Yes. Let me yeah, tell super you cool how vehicle. amazing. And you have to go around and collect research uh, to find out where Dr. Casey and Dr. Aloy would have been. Uh, and so the collecting research mechanic, all you do is as you pilot the hammerhead around, uh, you have to like right click and the ship kind of shakes a little bit and moves around. And so you have to keep the ship inside this little circle while this meter fills. And then once the meter fills, if you didn't go too far out the side of the circle, uh, then you've collected the data. Yeah. And you can also do this to collect resources. There are little resource nodes around yeah. uh, that you can do that to collect those as well. I don't well. know why, but like, maybe it was my audio, but like every time I tried to do that scanning, it hurt my ears for some reason. It was not a very pleasant experience. Oh, weird. It's a not a great noise, but it's like a revving engine sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, but if you get too far off, it makes this clicking noise that hurts. Mm. Yeah. yeah but um, what nice thing about good? this? The, 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 yeah. Kidding. Well, if, no, actually, I was about to say a little bit of this mechanic goes a long way for me. I do not enjoy the like staying on center thing. It's, I mean, I guess they get it, it's a mini game. Like, I guess they felt like you didn't, they didn't just want you to like fly over, get out of the Mako, run over, open up your, open up a locker or a, a lockbox yeah. or whatever and get back in. Not, or not the Mako, the Hammerhead. Same difference. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie. I, I did put out a podcast when I was playing these levels. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> wow. I tried. I just got like, I'm like, I'm just getting so bored. So I'm just like, I'm just going to go over here, put on this gaming podcast, and listen while I complete these missions. I don't, I mean, that's, I mean, you're not getting anything. There's no major revelations at this point. You, you get the research, and I don't think you get any actual like info of what the research is. You just collect the six research nodes or whatever and then you kind of get the results of it and it's like okay here's three new locations over in the terminus systems where dr casey and dr Aloy could be mm-hmm. so uh, it, yeah. you know it's not like you're not getting any kind of like oh i found another research node here's a big cutscene where it's not revelatory know, and, yeah 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 one thing maybe i'm weird about this vehicle right here this head is hammerhead um it's a it's a flying it's a hovercraft basically why in the future games we go back to the ground vehicles that use tires? We have a hovercraft. Well, I think the key here is that for the hammerhead, uh, this is called Firewalker. And as we'll get into, there's a lot of you're flying over lava. And so I guess in the future, they were just like, yeah, you're just going to be driving. I, I, we'll, we'll just give you terrain you can drive on. I would assume it's lower energy costs to, you know, just drive on the ground. Um so, you know, maybe you can put that energy to like better shielding or something. Uh, this thing, I mean, I will say like the hammerhead breaks pretty easily compared to the Mako. But it also heals instead of having to be stationary. You can just go behind a pillar and heal up and it'll be fine. That's true. Yeah. It, 
I mean, especially compared to the Mako, and and again, we're playing the, the Legendary Edition, which when, with the improved Mako, but I mean, the Hammerhead, I think it, it, it well, you don't have the same clunky landing, flipping over, jostling. Um, I mean, the Hammerhead, it's because it's a hovercraft, it's a little more stable in that regard. You can still jump, um, you know, you can get some really good jumps if you if you do it right. Oh, oh, and, and they, there's some spots and, where you, and, you need to jump. Yeah, they make you mm-hmm. they make you platform with this. Yes. They do. Oh, yes. I actually, you know, I actually kind of like like knowing how the thing controls. I wouldn't say it's very like mentally engaging, but it's fun. It's kind of fun to do like a big boost jump and grab stuff and kind of you can do some weird climbing with the hammerhead that I don't yes. think you're really supposed to do, yeah. but if you control it, like if you're used to it, you can you can I don't know. I kind of like it. Yeah. Well, it's like I don't hate the hammerhead itself. It's not the hammerhead. It's the missions they give you. I felt they just really underutilized it. It's more like, all right, we got this vehicle yeah. in this first DLC. Let's uh make it work somehow. Just don't worry about it. I think what kills me about the hammerhead is I think, boy, what if you had put a vehicle that feels this reasonable to control in Mass Effect 1? I bet that vehicle stuff would have been a lot more enjoyable. Yeah. Well, I almost wonder to a degree, like, why did they feel the need to include it again? I mean, they put it as the DLC. So, like, they, they clearly said, like, okay, like, when you th- hear Mass Effect, what do you think of? And, like, number four on the list was, like, vehicle riding. And it's just like, okay, so you have to include that in the next game, even though we've kind of streamlined it out. So we have to shoehorn it back in through the DLC. Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I don't have anything to add to that. Like, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I, yeah, it's um, and there's no vehicle riding in three. Well, oh, they oh, good. basically none. There's well, like a couple weird segments, but yeah, I think it's also regulated mostly to like DLC parts and just some mini games. Yeah, that's true. But hey, don't worry. If you go to Andromeda, they bring back the they bring back the uh, the, the uh, tank. I yeah, like I like driving in Andromeda. That actually was one of the things I enjoyed about that oh. game. It makes sense for Andromeda and maybe I guess even Mass Effect 2 a little bit and, and Mass Effect 1 definitely because you're all, you're exploring, I mean, Mass Effect 1 definitely, you're exploring new, you know, new stuff. You're going to places where, you know, at least you haven't been before, you know, sometimes hum- humans haven't been before. Uh, so in, in Andromeda, you're in a whole new galaxy anyway. So, you, you know, it's all new in that terms. Um, but especially by Mass Effect Three, like you know, you've been everywhere in one and two. That you know, you, you if you haven't mm-hmm. been on the planet, you've at least scanned it once or twice for resources. You may have already mined the crap out of it, and so yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised that in three. They're like, okay, we can really cut that back. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But yes, so so as I said, so you get the uh, you do you get the research. You get three new locations over on the right side of the Terminus systems uh, where you need to check for uh, Casey and Oloy. And so the first one of these we're going to look at is the Geth Incursion. This is on Latesh in the Comos, Chomos, uh, Comos system uh, for, uh, of the Phoenix Massing. It is a cold planet. Uh, you need to pick up some data points again because that's sort of the common thing here. So this one, they kind of changed the mechanic a little bit here whereas um now you know you know as we'll get to i think most of it being called firewalker you're using the hovercraft to kind of go over the over some lava and stuff here it's a cold planet and just being out exposed to the elements the hammerhead is slowly taking damage Mm -hmm. and eventually going to die 
So you need to get to the data points. When you get to the data points, you get the research, but it also restores the hammerhead back to full health, and then you can travel. Uh, so you kind it, you kind of puts a timer on the mission, like you have to get this done, um, you know, before the hammerhead just uh, explodes. Yeah, I'm gu- uh, so there's. Te- I'm guessing that the uh, it just overclocks the hammerhead when you scan these ones, so it heats up enough. I guess that could be scanning. It's active scanning, making heat. I don't know. Yeah, you would think you could just turn the scanner on at some point. I, I, yeah, it's. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I'll admit I didn't really think about the mechanic that much. It was just mini games. This I didn't is like my, right <laughs> This is like my least favorite of the Firewalker levels because um, it's the only one where, like, if you screw up uh, driving, you can like prevent yourself from getting all the resources. Uh, yes, which is annoying. Um, and also, yeah, I don't know. I would think that like it's the future. They should have a way to just keep machines working in the cold, but I guess that's not a solved problem. Mass Effect. Well, I'm sure they have. Like, well, can't. I don't know. I'm sure they have a way to keep machines working, but just not specifically the hammerhead. It's fair. Yeah. Delight- it is. I mean, it is very it, fragile. Well, you know what? You would think like okay, it's called Firewalker. It should have like extra plating, like te- you know, temperature mm-hmm. resistant to heat on the bottom, and maybe it does, maybe it does. But it's still like you can only sit on the fire for so long before you blow up. And now here, it's like okay, we're taking it outside of its element. It's not called Cold Walker, and I can understand like okay, we're gonna put it in this environment where yeah, too much cold is gonna make it blow up. Like shouldn't it? I guess, I guess the blowing up thing is a little bit odd too. That shouldn't it just? Uh, Shouldn't it just like, like shut down and freeze? Turn off. Yeah, right. Yeah, blowing up is. I. I mean, that's just the death animation. Right. I'm so curious though what the GEF are using atmospheric data for. Like, what do they change it? They don't need to go on planets. They. I. Yeah. I think that's something. Well. So this we'll is get this is that a- dark energy thing that they had been setting up all through this game, like on the side. I think that's why, like, that's why the GEF were on Haystrom when you go pick up Tally. Um, is is they're trying to figure out like what's dark energy doing to the galaxy, and then obviously like we don't talk about dark energy after this game. Interesting. So this could be stuff we we might see maybe in Mass Effect Five. Oh, maybe I mean, yeah. the, again the image there it was a gef, like the crater looked like a gef head, and also it did kind of look maybe like a cold planet. It did maybe there's some atmospheric change going on on that planet that. Uh, could have been caused by dark energy? Maybe. I mean, they could be using old stuff they wanted to use in 3 and turn it into 5. That's a possibility. But hey, yeah. tune in in however many years to find out how wrong we are. Right. <laughs> we will have to come back and do an episode just to to vilify this prediction. <laughs> yes. So... So yeah, so that's what, as uh, Kura alluded to there, that's what the research nodes that you're collecting here are about geth data on atmospheric change. Um, yeah, you get all 10 nodes and then you can move on and you're pretty much done with this. There's nothing really to do here. Um, one of The next of the three is Firewalker Recover Research Data. This is on Karumto in the Yakawa system in the Kalistan Rift. Uh, it's a research station inside an active volcano. And so you have to navigate the lava and the land bridges to find the resources and get to the station. Um, and then uh, th- there's a site that's basically it's a roadmap leading to Prothean runes. Uh, so you have to activate some sensors. And so you get into the station, you activate some sensors, and then you basically like activate the volcano. And so then 
now all of a sudden you have to race out of the station before the volcano like erupts and takes out the station and the base and the surrounding area. Uh, and once again, Shepard gets to make a dramatic jump into the Normandy. Uh, yeah, there is a lot this of that th- in this game, huh? This well, this one isn't the same. It's not Shepard personally making a dramatic jump. I think the 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 hammer the hammerhead you actually like fly that into the Normandy directly. Um, and as a you know, as a the reward for your efforts in making the jump, uh, the data reveals Doctor Casey's location. Uh, you find out that the Geth were tracking Casey and Oloy. Uh, there were unauthorized transmissions from the Rosalie, which was. Um, I want to say it was their ship that you were originally tracking. I think mm-hmm. the, the the very first mission in all this was called the MSV Rosalie. Yeah, that's right. Um, so that so that was their ship that you were tracking. There were make there were some unauthorized transmissions from their ship to an unknown location, which is the next planet in this sort of sequence here. So, and this this is very much getting into the base here. This and then get, getting out, especially where you're racing against the lava. This is very much that platforming that you were talking about, Chip, where you're you're boosting and you're jumping and you're trying to stay ahead because yeah, fun. again, if if you don't keep up, then the lava catches up to you and then you Yeah, know. this part I actually enjoy it. I'm like, ah, oh, this is fun. Not me spinning around nodes going, uh all right. Yeah. Yeah. And so so let's move on here. So we'll follow this thread and then we'll come back because as I said there were three you had three three data points earlier to go track on uh but this one leads to another location so we'll, we'll follow this location here uh it's firewalker prothean ruin uh this is on the planet copus in the hoplo system in the hades nexus uh there's a powerful artifact with a barrier and then there's some mechs defending it uh so you follow some power cables and you have to shoot the generators uh there are rocket drones that pop out all over the place so you're shooting the rocket drones while you're doing this you go into the runes, you find a data pad. Uh, the Geth seem to know actions before people take them. I guess so the Geth were surprising people with how uh, efficient they were. Uh, you find out that Dr. Casey had found Dr. Oloy sending data to a Geth ship, and he was saying that he thinks that Oloy was indoctrinated. So Casey killed Oloy. Uh, there were some large bugs roaming around. Uh, Casey started to feel a them in his head. Uh, and he realized he needed to destroy the relic and himself. Uh, you find out that Oloy was actually not indoctrinated. He had cut a deal with the collectors to give them the relic in exchange for the collectors not collecting his wife's colony. You get to the relic. It's a giant metal sphere. Metal you sphere. touch it. What'd you say? So I feel like we've seen a smell sphere before, haven't we? Yeah. You can find... So if you get... um, If you get the thing from... The consort Shaira in Mass Effect One, you can find another one of these weird ass spheres on some planet. Uh, yes, and then you can have like a cool, you know, sort of like two thousand one vision of Protheans interacting with ancient humans fifty thousand years ago. Yes, and I remember we talked about that because I did not get the thing from the consort. That to is do right. That. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. So this was my first, well, my first recent experience with the relic, but yes, it's a giant metal sphere. You touch it and then it like, it shrinks down from a giant metal sphere. It like it ripples and then shrinks. And then it's a tiny little like basketball size metal sphere. Um, and there is a pulse when it does that. And apparently energy from the pulse contains coded information. Uh, and so Cerberus uh, basically tries to decode that information. They get new in, new research or new information for research on energy transfer and biotics. And as far as they can tell, the artifact is inert. And 
you wind up taking the artifact back and putting it in hey. Shepard's quarters. It's just like a coffee table, uh, like a centerpiece. You can go like look yep. at it in his uh, in, or his or her room. I and this is where this like cool quest line with you know memory spheres goes to die. Yeah. Well, Sadly. it does get it does give a nice hint on uh some stuff for three, which is nice, at least about one of the characters. But I'll talk about that later. Mm, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, so this is also, I mean, this is the culmination, as you know, as I said, we're tracking Dr. Casey and Dr. Aloy. At this point, we find out that they're dead. The the twist that Aloy wasn't really indoctrinated, but it seemed like he was, I guess that's a nice touch. But, I mean, yeah. ultimately, he was still corrupted. Just different means. I, I think, like, there's just not a lot of emotional weight in this one, which is fine. It's It's an interesting little, like, sort of morsel, I guess. The the problem is that you're playing detective. You're always like a, a step behind these guys and you never really get to interact with them. Like right. there's no point where you get any sort of se- any sense to really be invested. You're just like, okay, like, go, go find out who Dr. Casey and Dr. Oloy are. Okay. You found out their story. That's it. Exactly. And that's it. You'll, yeah, it's, you'll note that there's no voice acting throughout all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very quiet. That's because they don't want to talk over the revving of the engine when you're collecting the. Oh yeah, they gotta, gotta, gotta get that revving engine. That's what they spent their whole audio budget just like we gotta get that revving engine just gotta right. Gotta get this noise. <laughs> gotta crush it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, so that ultimately that kind of wraps it up. But we still have one loose end here of uh, the Firewalker artifact collection. Uh, this is on uh, Korang in the Ver system in the Hawking ETA. Uh, scanners have found survey sites that Dr. Casey was tracking. Uh, you get there, there's a geth presence detected. Uh, so you land the hammerhead, a geth colossus activates, and there's this like city, which is really just a bunch of like platforms and some, uh, uh there's some like tunnels you kind of have to go through. Um, I had to redo this but- mission way too many times. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you have to drive through this city, uh, you know, with the Geth attacking, uh, and you have to kill the Colossus. There's shields around each of the data points uh, that, that drop when you kill the Colossus that you can then get your data points and move on. I think there's, what, like five relics that you have to get? It so sounds it's right, like yeah. Five Colossuses that you have to kill. Um, there's a acidic yellow lake, I think, that you can, you can kind of hover over, but not for too long, because otherwise then it'll yep. start to, like, burn your burn your ship uh there's you know so you go through like tunnels and buildings and stuff uh and then yeah you get to the the last geth colossus um you know you fight them down and then you get a little elusive man report at the end uh that there's historically significant artifacts that were recovered so yeah that's what all that was worth i I feel did i write this or just one of you guys write this because it sounds just like what happened to me though because someone said they vaulted over the last geth corpse and had to restart the mission I had a very similar experience where it just like knocked. I'm pretty me. sure I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure I did that. I think so. <laughs> well, I had that. I yeah. also had one time the platform like launched me off the map, and I'm like, "Well, oh this yeah, is new. <laughs> yeah." I think I like, There's like one- went exploring and also like launched my ass off the map. Sorry, Nick. Yeah, no, it's. I mean, it's again. This is a platforming game, but this time the platforming involves some combat. Uh, whereas the other one, it was just a straight platforming race. And some of the platforms, you need to make some sharp turns, but you also need to be watching out for oncoming fire. There's some Geth Colossuses. There's one part where basically you're on a platform and you have a Geth Colossus that you're fighting and there's no cover. 
So you entirely just have, you know, it's entirely just your ability to navigate the hammerhead to avoid the incoming fire I mean, and take out this Geth Colossus. It, it, it's, it's, slow, gonna, it's slow fire. Well, the, it's, there's that. I also found a, a kind of a cheeky way of doing it. If you're just far enough away, it won't do anything. It'll just look at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there were plenty of times with the, uh, with the Colossus where you could... Um, like it might be like, there might be like a ledge somewhere. And if you could get over the ledge, you could shoot, jump up and then just shoot whatever was up there and then come back down. And just, if you kept sh jumping up, shoot and coming back down, uh, you could generally take out whatever you were trying to shoot at without it really hurting you. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that was the intended way to beat it, but that was how I cheesed it. But yeah, the one problem with this mission though, is that if you died, you go back to the beginning. Yeah. Terrible saving. It's just like, Oh, yes. Cool. Now I'm upset, so I'm, I failed a couple more times just because I was, got really annoyed and just kept killing myself by doing stupid stuff. I'm like, Benico, just walk away for a second. This shouldn't be this well, hard. It's always, that's always a rough mechanic to have where you've got like a scaling difficulty and at any point if you die, you have to start over at the beginning because one, you get very good at killing the early stuff because it's, it's the easiest and you do it often enough that it becomes like just automatic. And the problem then is that the stuff that you need practice on that might take two or three attempts, you have to work all the way through to get to it before you can get those attempts in. So yeah, that's where it really gets repetitive. It's like, okay, I just want to, I just need to like, just beat, hit this one boss and beat it and that's it. And I have to go back through all this other stuff before I can do that and really get that down cold. Or you try to speed run it like I was trying to after a bit. I'm like, screw the first guys. I'm just going to try to do the first part. Uh, I got myself killed by this one random <laughs> gift that it shouldn't be hurting me right. because I try to ignore him. He's like, Oh, you got to ignore me. Got blow up your ship. Right. And that's the, that's sort of the risk and reward of speed running is that if you can do it right, then yeah, you've saved yourself some time. But if not, then you get, you get ganked for a stupid reason and you got to go back and start it all again. So yeah, but that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting layout. I don't think we really go to many cities. Like, I should, I shouldn't say, I mean, we do uh, beyond like Omega and alien, like the standard cities that you're in, like for aliens, like this is some runes cities. It doesn't really tell you what civilization. I don't think. I don't think uh, so. So you're just in some runes, you know, driving around. I mean, it's kind of fun in that regard, but uh, yeah, ultimately, Ultimately, it's just you shooting a bunch of geth, and then you get, at the end, you get to, you know, the elusive man gets some artifacts, whatever. Yep. No, I mean, really exciting uh, data, just kind of a cool place that's assumed Prothean, but maybe not. Mm. Yeah, I suppose it might be Prothean. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think, as I said, I don't think they say. Although, actually, well, no, because you do wind up tracking, like, the one Prothean relic, I think we said, that you get the little... So it might all be, they, it might have been Prothean stuff that Dr. Casey and Dr. Aloy were probably tracking. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But I mean, I mean, we've seen Prothean relics. We've been to Ilos. We've been to Pharos. I don't know that this looks anything like, but then again, even Ilos, or not Ilos, like Pharos, it was just a highway. You're just on some Prothean highway up in the, or a skyline, yeah. I should say. Just, you know, just driving some old, it looked like an old concrete road. Some old decrepit buildings. Yeah, I... I'm not sure we ever really see proper Prothean ruins. And also, like, yeah, well, well, we'll talk more about the Protheans in three. Um, but these, I mean, these missions are fine. I Like, when I looked up, I didn't really realize what Firewalker was DLC for. It was it was in that $10. So that Cerberus Network thing was like 10 bucks, I think. 
And there was a whole crap load of stuff in there. And so it's like a toss in, you know, against that. It's it's fine. It's a good like hour, you know, 90 minute diversion. Well, it's it's basically they took certain parts of the game that they were kind of not blackmailing you, but just kind of like, okay, <laughs> like if you're going to, you know, if you're going to buy this used, then you're just not going to get this. And you know, I, I can see why they did that. I mean, it worked because, you know. Kara, case in point. I mean, even well, you, I made sure to buy the game new. Well, you know, because uh, I you, wanted to make sure I got everything. I mean, so if you didn't get this, you don't get Zaid. So you know. Yep. Also true. Yeah, Zaid was in there. The N Seven Memorial. There were like a couple other things, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I, it's not the worst strategy. Like I, I mean, I I get where they were coming from in terms of hey, used game sales don't make us any money, and there's somebody making a killing on used game sales. I don't know. That was a, that was an age old debate that I'm not sure where I ever landed on it. I think it kind of well, it died. I mean, I think we've accepted one. Well, it died. I think one we accepted that yeah, they're just gonna use game sales. They're just gonna they're gonna rip you through the nose on the prices. But also too, like as DL as digital downloads and just mm-hmm. you know purchasing your game on downloading it becomes more prevalent, then the, the whole topic goes away. And, and that's it, um, exactly. Like, yeah. yeah. Or you could be like Nintendo, who just releases a very minimal amount of the, of the physical copies so that the other copies become super expensive and they stop printing them. Yeah, Nint- Nintendo does their own thing. Well, yeah. But I, I believe, but I believe someone was criticizing us for not being a general gaming podcast earlier, so let's move on. Oh, I, I don't know who that was. <laughs> <laughs> so, so overall, I guess Firewalker... It was, fine. it was worth it. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, no real problems with that. Nothing too earth shadow earth shattering. It uh, didn't. Uh, I mean, I think it doesn't like change the game in any major way. Yeah, I, I think you could probably make a pretty good argument that Firewalker is some of the worst content in this game, and it's not bad. It's just it's fine. Like it's it's an enjoyable little diversion. It's not. It never. I don't think it outstays its welcome. It's just uh, it gets outshone by a lot of the better moments. Yeah, it just—it's just one of those moments you can literally, except for the the next DLC, it's like basically take out the game, you wouldn't notice. It has no repercussions, really. Yeah, oh yeah, you can you can do a replay of Mass Effect Two and ignore this entirely for sure, and you won't you won't lose anything. Yeah. It doesn't affect uh, galactic readiness in I don't uh, think Mass so. Effect Three. No, I don't no. think it does. I, I think it is of, of zero consequence. So, but you can take. Take the hammerhead and throw it at a reaper, and maybe it'll <laughs> get, like it'll it'll give it a bruise. There's one good thing for it though, is because it has no consequence. You can save it for after you beat most of the game mm-hmm. to fin- yes. finish up certain people's uh, romance options. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so with that said, let's move on here. Let's go into uh, one of the side quests here. Actually, a, a side quest sequence here. There's a string of blood pack quests. Um, and it starts on the planet Tarith in the Lusarn system in the Crescent Nebula. Uh, basically, you f- there's a blood pack um, that have kind of uh, they're at a mining operation. Uh, there's some fog on the planet's surface that's messing with your navigation. This is there's a, a giant dragon beast that, that you see flying around when you land. It's a toxic atmosphere, and this is I think I don't know if this oh, is where you get yeah. introduced to the Clixen. But this is sort of the, the main place where you run into the clicks, and the other place you really see them is the Tuchanka mission. But there, there they were like imported. Like here, we we specifically brought these in. Here, it seems like this might be the clicks in Homeworld, uh, which they're the 
the bug-like things. They kind of look like Rachni, but re- not really. Almost like a cross between like Rachni and aphids or something. Because um, they have like a almost like a triangular shape mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. Um, I guess unlike Rachni, they don't have spaceships. Probably why they're still alive. Yeah. But they also, they like burn. They, and they explode. So they're, you got to be careful with them. So there's a head miner, Salamul, who I believe he's a Krogan. I think he's a Krogan. That seems right. Um, checks out, checks out, checks out. And he has a contact on Ilium who's waiting for resources. The contact's name is Kalusk or Kalisk. And basically, as you're going through, you have to go th- go through this sort of, it's almost like a maze. Like, you have to go through this fog, and you have to keep hitting these beacons so you can find your way to the end. I hate this um, mission. Incidentally. Yeah. And, uh, as you, you, you go through and you, you, you learn a little bit more about uh, what the blood pack is, is, is doing with, with uh, Salamul, uh, you get to a point where you hear a ship take off, and there's some gunfire, and then finally you get to fight Salamul. Salamul. Um, he's sort of like the main boss of this. You, so you fight him. You either you turn off the communications beacon, I guess, or maybe you turn it on. If it was whatever state it was in, you're changing that state. <laughs> I don't know if you're cutting off the communications or you're using it yourself. Uh, but you find out that he, uh, I guess the ship that left uh, was headed to a blood pack base in Zeta Ban. And the resources are being used for weapons manufacturer. So now you, you know, now your next mission mission here is to go and take out this weapons base here because you want to take out the, you know, you want to hurt the blood pack operations because they're not, they're not good people. I mean, yeah, look at their name. They're the blood pack. So, yeah. So this, I mean, yeah, as, as you said, it's really a, it, it's, it's a bit of a mini game where you have to go and track these beacons like you go you find the beacon you turn it on and then you have to track the like mm-hmm. it's like a, a straight beam and you kind of have to work your way through the fog and the the, the little crevices and, and to get there as you kind of make your way up this mountain going around and each time you hit the beam and you can follow it to the next one and you've got you run into the clickson and the and the krogan and the vorcha as you're going along so yeah lots of dead bodies i i got kind of uh lost a couple times because the beam doesn't exactly go the right direction sometimes i'd like oh i had to go around here to get to where you're trying to point to got it right mm-hmm. that's yeah that's meant to be sort of the challenge of it is you've got to track the beam even though you can't like the beam's going in a straight direction but your path diverges and you have to go off and then come back to get to the beam to figure out where it's pointing at yeah so i mean it's 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 a, it's an interesting enough mechanic with the fog i don't think we see it used anywhere else in the game uh, at least not like this so it's you know it's, it's enjoyable for what it is but yeah it's, it's combat it's just another combat mission yeah and, and they have to use their, their Right, they have to use their bugs and their dragons too. Like, where else are they going to use these creatures? Tuchanka. Even the, I'm curious about the Klixin because they show the giant. I I thought for sure when we landed here, and they show that giant like dragon like thing. Then I'm like, okay, like this is the thing that we're going to have to fight. Oh yeah. And like, no, it's just just like, is it peaceful? Because even then, it shows up when you fight the Klixin on Tuchanka. But it's just hanging out in the background. It just tra- and like you don't actually fight it there. It just drops them off. Like is is are the are the clicks in that we're fighting, are they like the larva? Like they eventually, if we didn't like blow them up, they would turn into the giant dragon? Is that like a the queen of the clicks in? I don't know. Maybe it's a host they they kidnap and they they use it. Yeah, it could be a transport, I guess. That's a good point. Yeah, we never fight this thing. It seems like a cool boss. Yeah. So- uh- I mean, it seems like a pain in the butt. I mean, it'd be a fun fight, I'm sure. But yeah, it's, I'm, I'm kind of glad we don't fight it. It's like, I don't need to be going and f- yeah. picking fights with, you know, wildlife that seems like it could, you know, it's intended to hurt you back. But at the same time, like, 
Why put that in there if you didn't want to make it a boss? I mean, they're like, you got enough of the Thresher mod, guys. Do you really want to find another giant creature? No, you don't. Yeah, probably not, actually. actually. I I don't know. I'm not a big fan of, well, usually first-person shooters, I don't enjoy bosses. I don't know. It depends on how they do the bosses is how I feel on them. Yeah. That's that's fair. If you don't make it a bold sponge, it can be fun. mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe that's the problem, too, is they had the boss and they just couldn't get the fight to be worth it. And they're just like, yeah, we'll just fight a Krogan. (laughs) (laughs) Three sets of shields. Right. So let's move on here to part two. When we go to Zeta Band in the Zaycha system of the Shrike Abyssal. Uh, This one's interesting. The facility is in the side of a cliff face. And Edie detects there's a power source that will destroy the facility if uh, if if the power source is destroyed. So you, you so basically, actually, what you want Shepard decides is, oh no, we're going to go down and we're actually going to blow up the base by destroying the power uh, the power source. Uh, so as you're so you kind of have to descend this cliff face and then kind of come across a little bit, and you're shooting blood pack along the way. Uh, you find a data pad which is a message from Salamul to Kalusk. Uh, telling him he'll get his resources uh, when they're ready. Uh, Kalusk did not get Salamul all the Vorcha that he wanted, which is causing a slowdown in the weapons manufacturer. Um, and Salamul, again, was the the Krogan that we just killed. Uh, so now you find a, a data, data pad that Salamul is sending back two of the Vorcha because they can't shoot, and Salamul's not happy. Uh, and then he... He's asking for Vorcha from Garm's squads. Garm, as you may recall, was the head of the blood pack on Omega. Yep. That mm-hmm. uh, when you take out, uh, when, when you're doing the Archangel mission, uh, there's the three, uh, the three gangs that are all working together, and Garm is the leader of the blood pack there. So we've already killed Garm. So Garm's dead, Salamul's dead, and finally here we encounter Kalusk, who's another Krogan, and we kill him. And then there is a are some containment canisters that we blow up to cause the power generators to destroy the base. And then once again, Shepard has to run away before he he or she gets blowed up too. So it's pretty pretty straightforward here. It's uh, there's a little. I guess it's this is supposed to be the weapons manufacturing facility for the for the uh, the blood pack. So we're we're dealing a hit to them. We're not really ending them. It seems they're still active on Omega even when we're done there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still plenty of Vorcha running around on Omega when we're yeah, done there. A- so. It, it, it's apparently a weapons facility, but it does not really look like one. It's like just looks like a bunch of cliff faces. Like, oh, all right, where are you I making mean, the weapons? The at? I inside the cliff. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I get the feeling the facility went a little bit deeper, but we just went as far as we needed to to blow up the power and take everything out. Mm-hmm. Well, that's true. But they put the power in a very terrible spot. You really, if you have a vulnerability, you put it where people can't easily just land their ship and shoot it. It's on a cliff face. It shouldn't be that easy. <laughs> And, I, and that's part of the that's part of the challenge as far as having to navigate the the cliff face and come down because you are taking fire from like across the cliff face and there's cover obviously that you can yeah use, but yeah you have to as you navigate down you have to work your way but through those groups you know they could just buy a shuttle there and just shot shot a rocket from a shuttle and be done with it they really didn't have to go on foot <laughs> that is true but where's the fun in that that's what the hammerhead <laughs> would have been perfect for this mission right just like the hammerhead <laughs> just just go in there hovercraft yeah. blow it up. Seems like a guided missile would do it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why they're they're it's it's run by Krogan and Vorcha. They didn't uh, they didn't think this out too well. Obviously, how they tie 
all of the Krogans together. I mean, that you've got Kalusk and Solomon between the two missions. You've got their back and forth about their resources. And then it also ties back to Garm earlier that they do a, a good job of it's, it's one of those things like you hear like about like, oh, like, you know, uh, like, you know, like like the U.S. military, like we took out this group's, you know, number one or this number two or whatever. And it's like you get a feeling here like, OK, between Garm, Salamul and, and Kalisk, we took out like the top three yeah. leaders of the blood pack. Like not that they not that they're we've they're going to stop operating, but they're at least going to have to regroup and come up with new leadership. Uh, before they can really, hey, uh, you know, positions are open. Everybody, we are hot. We are doing some fresh, <laughs> fresh hiring at the blood pack. Yeah, we. I would say, yeah, we like massively crippled this organization. Yeah, and they're going to need a new facility. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've got to rebuild and and probably scout out new places where they can build and maybe get like a an office lease so they can work <laughs> there. I mean, accountants got to go somewhere. Yeah, accountants like uh, okay. How many do we lose today? Ah, oh, god damn it. <laughs> yeah, they need shepherd insurance. Nobody's covering that. Nobody's covering that. No, if shepherd's coming after you, you've done something wrong. Yeah. Yep, that's definitely under act of God. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know that he was going to land on my planet and start scanning for anomalies. <laughs> so. Yeah, so I think that pretty much wraps up the blood pack here. Let's move on to the Blue Suns. It starts with an anomaly on the planet Joab in the Enoch system in the Rosetta Nebula. And you get a message, bastards didn't know what hit them, coming around for a second patrol looking for survivors. So there's some sort of uh, ship that's hit down. You find find out it's the Blue Suns. Arian who's on a smoke break that sees Shepard land the shuttle and then he like runs off to like let him know like okay we got incoming. Batarians oh, love shit, smoking guys. in this game. I guess that's a good question. Like presumably it's not lethal to them. I mean they could be they, smoking Batarian cigarettes. It could be totally different. That's true. Wait, 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 why, that's why, true. why why would it be lethal to Batarian? They're not like a Volus that actually Well like immediately lethal. I mean it is weird to yeah. think of like you just hand an alien like a tobacco cigarette and you say oh yeah we just light it on fire and inhale it this is gonna go great for you and the batarians seem like like the 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 kid at school that like wanted to look like like he was tough and so he's like you know he's kind of acting all tough and Mm -hmm. and and smoking like uh judd hirsch in uh the breakfast club like they they want they like they want to be that and they're like all like you know menacing and threatening but then at the end of the game like when they're walking off they're gonna raise their fist to uh to the breakfast club song now imagine this if that if also all smoking that cigarette that batarian had two sets of sunglasses <laughs> <laughs> sorry yeah. just a big visor that'll do yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah so yeah so you kill some blue suns there's a message on the terminal uh it's an outbound message to commander santiago who that name should be familiar now since uh we know that zaid uh you know mm-hmm. he were good buddies once upon a time uh, there's Santiago from Dr. Farron, chief researcher for Exquesting Aid. And then you get find an inbound message from Commander Sa- Santiago agreeing to Dr. Farron's request. So apparently this is an exogeny base that you're at. Uh, and there's a Blue Suns commander. You kill the Blue Suns commander. You find a PDA. It says, Lieutenant from Lieutenant Locke, once the artifact is secured and in transit, take the men to Captain Vorhes on the MSV Strontium Mule near Omega and assist with capture. 
So you find out that basically like Exogeny was doing research into some artifact here. They asked for help from the Blue Suns. The Blue Suns were like, sure, we'll send help. And the help came and took over the base and killed everybody. And then the but by the time they got there, though, the artifact was on the Strontium Mule. And so the Blue Suns now have to go get the artifact from the Strontium Mule yeah. near Omega. I think um, the way I read this is when this mission opens, the Blue Suns patrol does a, a pass, sees like massive. Like, I don't think the Blue Suns came in and blew the place up. I think oh, that they you? were hired as muscle and they did a pass, saw, oh, wow, this base is wrecked. And we're going to come back and, and take a second pass at this. I thought they actually yeah, attacked it. They're doing a second pass to just get people, but to, to find that they were there, kind of walking around, like looking for because it makes sense. With you know, it makes sense if this like exogeny research head or whatever was like, "Hey, Blue Suns, like I have direct." Well, Vito d- doesn't seem like the kind of guy who wouldn't take up an opportunity to backstab somebody. Also true. So. I mean, it could kind of go either way. I guess it comes down to the the reading of bastards didn't know what hit them. Yeah. Because are you saying that like if you if you see like a you know like a car accident like somebody gets like sideswiped and you're like oh that guy didn't know what That's hit that him that poor bastard or is it like or did you hit the guy and say ha ha that guy didn't know what hit him so <laughs> That's a good point. it's really either way. Um. Well, I'm sure it won't get resolved or anything. <laughs> also too like exogeny like this is again one of those things where like there are no heroes like exogeny kind of sucks oh yeah the blue suns kind of suck so it's like yeah okay like you've got your your mercs preying on your uh your, your unethical corporation corporations here. right yeah. yeah yeah it's like a you know boo- boohoo for everyone here um you know pick pick your two least favorite football teams when they play you know it's like you know it, you, all you can do is enjoy it because you know you know somebody that you don't like is going to lose. Mm-hmm. So, but then somebody you don't you do you don't like is also going to win. But that's a right. But you but you can still enjoy the losing of the other people more than you can enjoy them winning, oh. unless you really hate the one team. Yeah. That, but then at that point, it's not the it's not what I'm talking. Except about. in this round, you can make sure both sides lose. It makes it even better. Can't do that in football, that is, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can run onto the field with a steel chair and turn it from like football to WWE. That'd be actually funny. <laughs> About to make the touchdown and what's this a fan with a right with a chair to the head? Okay. <laughs> and the ball is out. Uh, and now we're now we're in the XFL. The Exogeny FL. But uh Yeah, so then one other thing is at the end of the Shepherd finds another Prothean beacon and you get the little uh like a replay of the the little images uh from Mass Effect One, which shows I I mean it's consistent. It's like, oh, it's another Prothean beacon, it's gonna have the same message for Shepard that the first one did. Um, so it's just, I guess it's interesting in the sense that like, oh yeah, you didn't find all the Prothean beacons going around in the first Mass Effect, but then you didn't need to, you found just as many as you needed to progress the story, but there were others out there. I I guess presumably it's a big galaxy. Yeah. If you didn't play Mass Effect one, I guess this is your way to experience the beacon. I don't know if they were like this. We feel like this is important enough. Yeah. Well, also question if, uh, in Mass Effect one, if Saren hit this beacon instead of, uh, the one at Eden Prime. But we have a game. Yeah, true. Well, I guess the thing is, Saren didn't know about this beacon. That's the problem. Is that? I mean, well, one, I guess, did Exogeny even know about this beacon, or did they find it in the two years that Shepard was dead? Hmm. Hmm. Imagine they did find it early. He was like, "Yeah, we'll hit this place that no one cares about." I mean, that's something that I mean, if if Exogeny knew about a beacon, then it's possible that Saren with his ear could have 
gotten wind of it. And then, yeah, okay, I'm just going to go, you know, he wouldn't even need to fight his way in here, you know, because he could just play this play the specter card and just be like look you know especially too i mean he he seems like i have no quarrel with you i'm not even going to take the relic i just want to i just want to touch it and then you you know i'm just going to leave like if the blue suns had taken over or not at that point um otherwise you could just you know play the uh you know i'm, I'm a specter and i need access card and again exogeny's kind of probably get, you know not give him too much uh hassle because he's got a reputation and then the reapers win and we are all dead right so it's a good thing that didn't happen so let's get into part two of this quest line here with the, on the MSV Strontium Mule, uh, where you have to board the ship and fight the Blue Suns. Uh, so uh, Shepard gets on board. The Blue Suns are like, oh, crap, Shepard's on board. Let's blow out the cargo bay doors and, you know, just suck everybody off into space. Uh, so the doors bad, are all locked. And- yeah, it's a good call, honestly. It's not a bad strategy. Yeah, because we know space has beaten Shepard once already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it no, it just it just uh, knocked him, it knocked him, and winded him for a bit. Like Shepard, took, Shepard it, got better. Shepard, Shepard was dead. It took the elusive man reviving him. That it, it would, at the very least, at the very least, it would take another two years and more elusive man resources. And he's gonna be like, okay, you know what? Just don't mess with the blue suns. <laughs> Leave them alone. They got their stuff. It's, Go kill Reapers. Is this the one where we like we find a bunch of dead bodies of the crew? Is the a different mission I'm thinking of? I think it's a different mission you're thinking okay, of. Okay, kind of doesn't. Or no, actually, no. Maybe, no, actually, no. I think there are part. You get into one of the rooms, and I think there are like a bunch of dead bodies. Because I mean, the Blue Suns came on, and they start massacring the crew, and you're you're on the ship now after they've already done that. Because, um, yeah. So the so you're you're on the ship. The doors are all locked. You have to hack the security console to get at to get through. Uh, the uh, FTL drive was broken and repaired with substandard parts. It's expect captain. He's barricaded on the bridge. Uh, the engines and the comms are all down. And then Sergeant Bortis, uh, he's the one of the battalions. He's planning on taking out Vorhes when this is over. Uh, so you get to the bridge, you kill Vorhes. Then now you, so you storm. And again, it's one of those situations where you're coming through and you see a lot of lines of cover, but you're not fighting anything yet. You get into the bridge, you you fight everybody on the bridge, then you move into the bridge, and then Bordis comes up behind you, and now he's storming the room just like you did, and you're in the room and have to defend it. So all the defenses that you just had to overcome, you now have to use them, knowing that they didn't do very much for the guy before you. Yeah. But so you, I, I do you, I do like that twist of of play there. It's nice, but it'd also be nice if within you went to there to defeat the other guy right before you start beating him, if they'd actually attack then so that they could have killed you and then finish off the other team, you know, been smarter. I think the assumption was that you'd be weaker than you were, but they don't realize that when we kill people, we get to pick up their ammo clips or their heat sinks. Mm-hmm. So and usually there's a med pack around somewhere that we can always pick up or just get credits for because we have enough. But yeah, but apparently Bordis held back to let Shepard kill Vorhes, uh, so Bordis's men could get the code for the canister, which I guess is the artifact on the ship here. Uh, Shepard picks something up, but it's off camera, so I don't know what Shepard picked up there. Uh, but then uh, you're able then, since since you defeated Bordis and Vorhes, uh, you're able to decrypt the intel. You find out that the Blue Suns are using false distress signals to lure ships, and so now you have to go to the Blue Suns base to turn off the distress signal to. Uh, stop them from luring in ships and, and taking their stuff. I'm gonna think the Blue Suns are a bunch of assholes, you know. Yeah, can't trust, can't trust them, can't trust them even when you're on the team. Yeah, definitely a, yeah. a bunch of a jackasses for sure. It definitely feels like 
yeah, betraying and stabbing people in the back. That's that's in their MO. That's in their like uh, you know, in their mission statement. Like you should know. Yeah, you if you're gonna climb to the top of this group, then you need to be ready to stab people in the back and make sure nobody stabs you in the back or shoots you in the face. <laughs> or stabs you in the back while they shoot you in the face. Exactly. Uh, I do like I do like the layout. It's, it's it's yeah, it's got like three floors and there's there's different places and like certain rooms are locked but when they come unlocked there's people coming out that you have to kill and stuff so it i feel like it does a pretty good job of uh you know it's good level design it is yeah and there's some good like you can find stuff if you backtrack to the unlocked areas and stuff like that too right right like i think that room that you were talking about kura where you find some dead bodies like that's where they kind of put the crew hold up when they realized they were being attacked and then the batarians just kind of came in and wiped them out because there are no survivors on here no just a lot no. of shard corpses a lot of jerky. Yeah. So once we're done with the Strontium Mule, we have to head to Sanctum in the Decorus system in Sigurd's Cradle. And this is where the false s- signal is emanating from. Uh, so there's a transmission we pick up. It says, check out all, all check all those tunnels for runners and report back to Cap- Captain Narum when you're done. Uh, so we land the shuttle. The Blue Suns run in and regroup and start attacking us. Uh, there's a mining accident. As you start going through the base, you find out there was a mining accident that left the base closed indefinitely, uh, and teams were transferred to another base. Uh, you get da- a data pad message of a guy who got fired from the mining company and went and joined the Blue Suns to take out Archangel. That was hilarious. Uh, yeah. Also, I think that's the same guy who also was fired because he's like, all right, guys, I'd like to thank so-and-so for breaking into the cafeteria. Thank you. Now it's closed indefinitely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And yeah, because there's a, yeah, when you get to the cafeteria, there's a giant hole in it and that's how you get into the mine. Um, so yeah, that, that's funny how that all fits together. Uh, so you get, you, you get through the cafeteria, you get into the mine and then you go from the mines into a storage area and that's where you find Captain Narum. Uh, you have to fight two heavy mechs and then his men. And then finally there's a beacon. You overload the beacon. It's going to explode. And then Shepard gets out of there. And at that point you've now blown up the. Uh, the Blue Suns base that they were using. I'm sorry, I, I like the way you wrote it here. Overload the beacon, it go boom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. It's true, it's what happened. It's just funny the way it's written. <laughs> yeah. It's true. This is kind of like an anticlimactic end to this, I feel like. You just kind of go in and like, kill some mechs and blow, I don't know. Yeah, the the, the yeah. funny part was just the guy getting called out for for opening the tunnels to the cafeteria. Yeah, that part I enjoyed. That is funny. That is true. And then also then him going like, yeah, I'll, I'll just go join the Blue Suns. <laughs> I'll, I'll go get Archangel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, how'd that go for him? I wonder. Uh, I wonder if he's one of the guys. That, uh, this is one of those things where it's, I feel like you need to pay attention to a lot of like the extraneous dialogue in the on Omega, and I'm sure there's somebody there like, oh, I was on some other planet, I blew a hole in the cafeteria or something. You're just like, whatever, and then like, oh no, it's that guy, and you probably kill him at one point. He's the first guy you see get shot by by Garrus when we're crossing that bridge. Right, right. Oh yeah. So let's let's go ahead and wrap it up there then. And then we'll pick up with the rest of the side quests and the Overlord DLC next time. Sounds good to me. So, so thank you to Jarrett for producing and editing. Thank you at home for downloading and listening. We are at Squad Goals N7 on Twitter, also at the Mesh Network. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash mash those buttons. Also, YouTube at youtube.com slash mash those buttons. 
Chip, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch at WD. It's where double Y-E-W-D-E-E. Uh, and here on the MASH Network on Wondrous Tales, where every Kura, where can folks find you? Follow me on Twitter at Kurabars, K-U-R-A-B-A-R-S, or on twitch.tv slash Kurabara. You can also find me most weeks, Talk Spicy, and you can follow us at Dropping Spicy. What about you, Nick? Got anything cool going? And I am I am at WikiBH on Twitter. You can also find me here on the Mash Those Buttons Network on WoW Talk, talking about Warcraft news and guild management, and also on the Torn and the Goblin, talking about Warcraft story and lore. Join the Mash Those Buttons community on Discord at mash.gg slash Discord and email us your thoughts or questions. Uh, let us know what you think of the Blue Suns and the Blood Pack and Firewalker at squad goals at mash.gg. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us out, please share it and rate it if you can. And visit mtv.gg slash support to see all the ways you can support Mash Those Buttons and all our great podcasts, including on Patreon, where for as little as $1 a month, you can gain early access to content as well as to patron-exclusive content. You can also check out our Humble Bundle affiliate link as well as our PayPal one-time donation link over at mtv.gg slash support. And stay tuned to hear about other shows on the Mash Those Buttons Network. For Chip and Kura, I'm Nick, and I should go. See you, Commander. This is my favorite podcast on the network. Thanks for listening to a Mash Those Buttons production. If you enjoyed the show, you should check out MashThoseButtons.com and see if any of our other shows might interest you. All of our shows are available on your podcast platform of choice like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. If you enjoy our content, you can help support Mash Those Buttons by becoming a patron at Patreon.com slash MashThoseButtons, where you can receive Patreon bonuses for as little as $1 a month. You can connect with Mash Those Buttons at Twitter.com slash The Mash Network, Facebook.com slash Mash Those Buttons, or join our Discord at mash.gg slash Discord.